Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we take a look at Micah chapter 6. Hear what Yahweh says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of Yahweh, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For Yahweh has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of Yahweh. With what shall I come before Yahweh, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will Yahweh be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does Yahweh require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of Yahweh cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri, and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. This is the word of the Lord. So again, the pattern, chapters 1 through 3, about God's judgment. Verse, uh, chapters 4 and 5 about his restoration. Now back to chapter 6 and the theme of judgment once more. So here, what he always says, we've seen several chapters of this book start this way. It's a call to faith, a call to repentance perhaps for the people. He invites them to arise and plead their case. Let the mountains stand as a jury. God calls on creation to hear both sides of the conversation, of the case of the trial. Sinful men think that they are in the right. And so God is inviting them, if they refuse to repent, he's inviting them to try to plead their case, which they will lose because Yahweh has an indictment against them. He will contend with Israel and he knows all things. Verse 3 through five, take us into the idea of how God has cared for his people. 
The first question, what have I done to you, O my people, is meant to be about what wrong has he done to them. But ultimately the paragraph ends up pointing you to what goods he has done for them. So that's what we'll get to talk about here shortly. How have I wearied you? Why are they tired of him? Why are they exhausted of him? Why is it that they no longer want to be his people? What has he done to deserve it? That is a question we can ask of ourselves as we think of our own lives, our church, our culture. Why is it that we grow weary with God? Why is it that worshiping him becomes boring to us or mundane or hard to do? Something to consider. The answer, by the way, is our own sin, but I brought you up, so here he's going to go into some of the things he's done for them, rather than what what wrong. Here's what good he's done. I brought you up from the land of Egypt, so the book of Exodus, the ten plagues. I redeemed you from the house of slavery, so the terrible mistreatment that they were receiving at the hands of the Egyptian pharaoh and his taskmasters. Sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, so leaders for the people. Miriam served as a leader for the women among them. He invites them to remember Balak. Balak was king of Moab before Israel entered the promised land. He sought to curse and destroy the people of Israel, believing that if the gods would curse them, it would give him just enough of an edge to overpower them on the battlefield, and he could go down from his position. He had camped out on a, a cliff, a hillside, so he could oversee them, and he could go down and destroy. If you want to read about this section, it's Numbers 22 to 25 that you'd pick up on. And so he calls on Balaam, a diviner, practicer of divination, which is forbidden by God, Balaam comes, and he's willing to pay Balaam basically whatever Balaam wants in order to have Balaam speak a word of curse upon God's people. Balaam, for his part, even though he is not one of God's people, and even though we just said he's, he's practicing sinful practices, he acknowledges that he cannot speak anything that God does not speak to him. He has to say whatever God tells him to say, that is good. And in the end, Balaam three times refuses to curse the people of Israel and instead ends up giving them a blessing, which makes Balak quite upset. But the Lord provides for them, protects them, shelters them from this wicked king and his attempt to destroy them, and then instead turns the tables and leads his people forth in battle. What happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that's a reference to two cities that are on opposite sides of the Jordan River. So God giving them the promised land, parting the, the Jordan River is a conversation perhaps we could have about that, but also just bringing them in and then driving out all those peoples before them that they might have 
that land that flows with milk and honey, so that you may know the righteous acts of Yahweh. It's good here to review with your children the things we were just talking about. So what has God done for his people that he's mentioned in this paragraph? But then you can also come back and talk about your family and today. And what has God done for you? You can talk about the first article gifts of, of the Father, that he cares for us. So things like shelter and clothing and food and, and family. You can talk about the second article gifts that come through salvation in Jesus Christ, his victory on the cross that forgives our sins, his resurrection that promises us life. You can go to the third article gifts um, that come through the Spirit and talk about the church, talk about how we are a communion of saints, those sorts of things as well. Verse 6, then as a shift in speaker, as we now move to Micah, I mean, God was speaking through Micah in those previous verses. Micah was the one talking, but this is now Micah speaking of his own. With what shall I come before Yahweh and bow myself before God on high? What offering, and you can ask your children, what offering could Micah possibly offer to God? What does Micah have to give to God that God would want or that God himself does not already have. This is important to recognize as we grow up that nothing in this world is actually ours. Everything belongs to the Lord himself. Whatever you have, your house, your all your worldly goods, even your, your family and your friends, all that we have is entrusted to us by God. Everything belongs to him and not to us. We are not owners, we are managers. And so in this, Micah is very true in this rhetorical question. There is nothing he can bring before Yahweh. Burnt offerings don't really do it. They don't cut it. A thousand rams won't be good enough. He cannot give his firstborn for the sins of his soul. It's well phrased, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. It's not possible. That would actually be evil, even instead of good, to do something like that. That is, by the way, a reference to trusting in God, uh, the, the offering of the firstborn, just like it, it is for the offering of the first fruit. So your, your harvest comes in, you don't take what you need and then give God whatever's left. You give God from the top, trusting that he will provide for you. So Micah's rhetorical question here shows that line of thinking, but God does not command child sacrifice of his people. He abhors it, and so that would not be a good thing to do. Instead, God has told you, O oh man, what is good, what he does expect of you, what he does require of you, and it's three things. Justice, so that they would be truthful in all of their dealings and that they would care for those who need it. The English word here is kindness, but uh, the Hebrew word hesed shows up, so faithfulness, that they would be faithful to what the Lord gives them and walk humbly with your God. So here, think of John chapter 6, verse 29, uh, Jesus responding to 
the grumbling Jews in the crowd, saying that uh, they have asked him what work they must do to inherit life. And he answered that the, the work of God that they must do is this, believe in him whom he has sent. So believe in the Son whom the Father has sent. Believe in Jesus. That is the work of God that is required of us. Now we move into, again, some judgment words. So Yahweh cries to the city, a call to repent or sound of judgment if they're not going to repent. It would be wisdom to repent. It would be wisdom to fear Yahweh's name. But Israel won't. Judah, eh, Judah might for a season, for a little while. But ultimately they too will fall away. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. That would be God. God's rod. It is God's judgment that is coming. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies. So here are reasons for the judgment that God is going to bring upon them. And it starts with the powerful, those who have much. But notice that really these things oppose, verse 8, the three things that God requires of you, justice, faithfulness, and walking humbly. Here we see they have no justice because they are you know, wicked scales, uh, they, they rob those who need, they, they're filled with violence. They have no faithfulness, so they don't follow the Lord's commandments because the Lord's commands would tell them to do none of these things. And they have no humility before God. They walk in their own ways rather than in His. Verse 13, Therefore I strike you. Therefore, it is earned, it is deserved, and it is coming. He's going to make them desolate because of their sins. This is also the end that we deserve. But thanks be to God that through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is not the end that we receive. Because our sins have been forgiven, removed from us, and we have been clothed with Christ's righteousness. So they shall eat, not be satisfied. They shall put away, like saving but not preserve. Instead, what they preserve, God will give to the sword. In other words, others will take it by force. They will sow, but not reap, tread olives, but not anoint themselves. They won't have any oil. They will tread grapes, but they won't drink wine. So God is going to take the promised land and he's going to give it away. He's going to strip it from them and give it to another. And again, the reason is given in 16. You have kept the statutes of Omri, and the works of the house of Ahab. Those are wicked kings of Israel uh, in the 800s BC, about a hundred years or more beforehand. For our text today, Omri is the father, Ahab the son, as those two are related to each other. They've walked in their, their wicked counsel. And so they will become a desolation. God's judgment rightfully befalling a people that has rejected him. 